0: So good to see all of you here today, good to uh, know that you're watching online with us. I always picture our online people sitting around in their pajamas with the Danish and coffee, and today I kind of picture them out on the pontoon boat uh, watching this from, uh, from the lake somewhere, but uh, we're glad you're here, we're glad you're there. I, I do not take for granted uh, you being here, uh, you watching us, and I thank you for the opportunity to share God's word uh, with you today. Uh before we get into the message I want to give you some quick updates. Uh as you probably know, Rockbrook Church is uh, very heavily involved in church planting efforts in India and uh, Nepal. And you also probably know that it's been a very difficult season in that region due to COVID-19. And we've been working with our ministry partners there uh, to purchase oxygen concentrators. We're also helping to provide food for the pastors and their families. And uh, they are extremely appreciative uh, of your help and uh, send a hearty thank you to you uh, for your participation in that. Uh, I've been doing some Zoom training a couple of times a week with 27 pastors in Nepal. Uh, This last Thursday, we had to cancel our meeting because of a landslide in the, the region where my translator lives. Be very thankful you live where you live. Uh, you know, these guys are facing natural disasters all the time, landslides, earthquakes, volcanoes. We had a flood wipe out a city in Nepal uh, recently. And uh, but despite all of this, uh, the church is growing and, uh, and the gospel is progressing. People are getting saved, new churches are springing up, and God's work goes on even in, in uh, those difficult situations. Uh, I also wanted to update you regarding Alok uh, Srivastava, Uh, he's one of our uh, network directors in India and uh, for the past year Alok has been battling abdominal cancer and um, uh, he's completed his chemotherapy and they're just really, uh, nothing else for them to do and for weeks now Alok's condition has not seemed to worsen uh... but it has also not gotten any better and so i would really encourage you to to pray for Elok that, uh, that we might get a breakthrough from god here and get some real healing for this guy so he can get back to uh, back to ministry and pray for his wife ricky his daughter shekinah and son shadrach uh... his nephew is pensu who many of you know has been here and uh, this has just been a long exhausting ordeal for them and so uh, i know they would covet your prayers uh, at the end of last year, uh, we dedicated our celebration offering to, to purchase the lot next door to the Life Center in Lucknow. And you folks gave over $72,000 toward the 100000 uh, needed to make that purchase. Uh, but to date, we have not been able to complete that purchase. Uh, due to Loke's illness and the COVID lockdowns, everything's just been on hold. And the seller of the property, is an Indian, he's a Christian but he lives in England and England is locked down, India is locked down uh, every, everything's just been stuck and so we still have the money in hand here at Rockbrook, we haven't sent it on to anybody it has not been used for any other purpose and we're holding the funds here uh, so that uh, when the situation opens up again we can complete that transaction And. And, and make that purchase. But I just want you to know because you gave the money, I want you to know where we're at and what we're up against, and, and would encourage you to pray for that situation as well. So pray for India, pray for Nepal, pray for Alok, pray for the other pastors, and thank God for the United States of America, Amen. the states of Missouri and Kansas. And uh, I am, God shed his grace on thee. Glad I live here. Now to the message. Uh, On your notes, on the screen, on the app, we're in a series called Songs of the Summer, and we're spending time in God's songbook, uh, the book of Psalms. And today the topic is God's care and attention. And we're looking at Psalm 139. This is arguably one of uh, David's uh, best-known psalms. Uh, you're probably uh, familiar with several of the verses in this psalm. It's funny with the psalms, we're often familiar with a snippet here or a snippet there, and then you'll read the whole psalm and realize how everything is connected together. And, uh, but this psalm is written from the perspective of a person who is standing alone, searching for answers. Uh, Answers regarding himself, his world, and his God. And uh, this psalm describes the link between a human being and their creator. No one has been flung haphazardly into space and time. You are not an accident or a fluke of evolution. You were made and formed and created by a personal God who cares about you, a God who has fixed his attention on you. We we are not unimportant specks of dust in the wind. We are objects of God's close and personal care and attention. Your life matters to God from the moment of your conception to your dying breath on earth and beyond. In in a word, you are loved. Psalm 139. Uh, We can divide the Psalm up into four parts Uh, And and each part answers a very important question. And so in the first part, verses 1 through 6, David answers the question, How well does God know me? How well does God know me? Verses 1 and 2. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. David says that that God has searched him. And the Hebrew term there means to explore. Uh, It carries with it the idea uh, of digging into or digging through something. If we put it into our vernacular, you could say, God digs you. God explores. God digs into. God examines you. In two, two phases of life. First, when I'm passive, when I'm sitting down. And then when I'm active, when I'm rising up. And so our most common and casual moments are familiar to the Lord. Uh, Even our thoughts are known by the Lord. Uh, You know, we can see uh, thoughts enter into the heads uh, of people uh, as their faces uh, light up in comprehension. Uh, you know, you've had that happen when you're explaining something to someone and they're just looking at you with a blank stare I love this with kids uh, you educators know I love it with my grandkids when you know you're explaining something to them and you're just getting and then all of a sudden you get and you know they got it they, 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 they understand you see it click in their head and we, we can hear people's thoughts as they leave their minds Uh, through their mouth, uh, assuming they've thought before they've spoken. (laughs) But we cannot see what happens between the entrance and the exit. Uh, We can't read uh, others' minds. God can. God can read our thoughts. And God even understands what prompts us to think certain things. He understands the hidden motives behind our actions and God monitors the whole thought process from when the light bulb goes off over your head uh, until the idea is brought to fruition uh, through your actions. God perceives my very thoughts. It says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And God scrutinizes our choices and our decisions. God is the supreme judge who judges everything we do? He judges it fairly and rightly. And he judges it in relation to our faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer, it is not that you escape God's judgment. No one escapes God's judgment. The wonder of Christianity is not that God doesn't judge you, it's that God judges you and declares you righteous. Not because of of anything that you have done, but because of your faith in Christ's work on the cross. You know, as a Christian, it's not that you escape judgment. Yes, you escape condemnation, but but you don't escape a judgment. You pass judgment because of your faith in Christ. Verse 4, Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God knows every word of every language in every person's mind, on every continent, at every moment, of every day, throughout all time. Every, every brain on earth is firing. Uh, scientists tell us that we have, we have about uh, 50 ideas a minute. And there are 7 billion people here on earth. That's that's. 350 billion thoughts per minute. And and God is fully, accurately aware of every one of them. Verse 5 says, You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand on me. And the idea here is that God has placed us in inescapable situations. We are hemmed in. And in those inescapable situations, God has his hand on us. He steadies us, he restrains us, he holds us up, he keeps us from running away from the situation he's placed us in, and he keeps us from falling. The laid your hand on me speaks of applying pressure. In these pressurized situations, God shuts off the escape routes. But he stays near and he steadies us with his hand so that we might learn the valuable lessons instead of running away. David says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You know, God views his creatures as important and significant. He knows us, he scrutinizes us, he studies us and steadies us 24 hours a day. God knows everything that has happened in your life. God knows everything that is happening in your life. God knows everything that will happen. He, he knows your past, present, and future. He knows where you've come from. He knows where you are. He knows where you're going. How well does God know you? He couldn't possibly know you any better than he already knows you. Now, God knows me and He guides and even controls me but not from a distance Uh, in the next section David answers the question how close is God to me verse 7 where can I go from your spirit where can I flee from your presence you know the prophet Jonah tried to flee from God Uh, Jonah wondered is there any place where I can go to get away from God and he found out there is not not even in the belly of a whale and David puts it like this says if I go up to the heavens you are there if I make my bed in the depths you are there whether in the heavens or in the depths of the earth God is there on August 5th uh, 2010 the San Jose mine in Chile collapsed trapping 33 miners 2,300 feet underground for 69 days and rescuers had to drill a new shaft through solid rock down to where the miners were trapped and then pull them in a capsule one at a time up out of uh, that cave. And the rescued miners credited their survival to a higher power. They, They recounted miracle after miracle that happened in that cave during their ordeal. They considered God to be the 34th miner. And they credited God with protecting them as they were trapped and they viewed God as the one who rescued them and freed them if I make my bed in the depths you are there verse 9 if I rise on the wings of the dawn I love that poetic expression there the wings of the dawn and it just speaks of the beauty of the sunrise that invokes the image of the first rays uh, of light each morning. And I love the idea of wings of the dawn because it just speaks of the transitory nature uh, uh, of light. And, and we might say, Lord, if I travel at the speed of light, you are there. No matter where I travel throughout the universe, when I get there, God is there to greet me. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And again, we picture uh, God's hand guiding us, holding us fast. Nothing comes into your life that is not Father-filtered. Everything that comes into your life comes as from a Father's hand. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. I remember as a kid, uh, if I were afraid of something in the night, I would uh, pull the covers up over my head and hunker down as if my grandmother's quilt had superpowers to protect me. You know, it was monster-proof. And uh, as adults, uh, we might think, well, if I do this in the darkness, it will go unnoticed. You know, people will do things in the dark that they would never do in the light. Jesus said men love darkness better than light because their deeds are evil. My mom said nothing good happens after midnight. And we think the darkness will conceal our sins so we can get away with them. David reminds us in verse 12, he says, Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God has night vision. He sees it all and God sees it all, and best of all, He cares. He cares about what He sees, because you're important to Him. And we we don't ever need to feel lonely in the dark of night. Uh, One of the ways that God shows your importance to Him is in His design of the human body. Uh, The way God made you is a work and a wonder, and it speaks of your worth and of God's plans for you. The third question that David answers is, how carefully has God made me? How carefully has God made me? Now, only a God who knows us and is near us could be so intimately involved in making us. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And the you in, in this verse is highly emphatic. The idea is you and you alone. You, yourself, and no other. It's not nature. It's not mother nature who forms the miracle in the womb. It is God and God alone and no other. The inmost being literally refers to our inward parts. The, the word there is a part for an organ, a, a bodily organ, specifically the kidneys. And so it's our innards, our heart, our lungs, our liver, our kidneys. We are knit together. The the Hebrew paints a picture of being intertwined together like an overgrown thicket. Muscle, tendon, bone, veins, and arteries. All of this knitting happens in the womb, in that dark, hidden, secret, mysterious place. God does his most precious work. And and that that truth is so overwhelming to David, he just bursts forth in praise. He says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The human body is, is a phenomenal combination of strength, beauty, coordination, grace, balance on the outside. But if you think the outside is something, you ought to take a look on the inside. And you know, sonograms, MRIs, nuclear imaging, even old-fashioned x-rays reveal that we are fearfully and wonderfully knit together in our mother's womb as a testimony to our glorious God. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. And my frame means my skeleton or my bone structure. God saw all of that coming together. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. In the depths of the earth, there is a figure of speech still referring to the womb. Since woven together, like a variegated, multicolored cloth. Our veins, arteries, nerves, muscles, tendons are embroidered together like a tapestry. God put us together like a skillful artist, taking great pains at choosing each color and making each stitch. And verse 16 adds the capstone. It says, your eyes saw my unformed body. You know, Unformed body is the term for an embryo. And so in my very first hours and days of life after conception, God was watching over me. He was never absent nor unconcerned. God is at work in the mother's womb. Furthermore, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God ordains our days. Like a potter working with clay to create the kind of vessel he wants, God shapes our days so that they shape us. God wants to shape us into the person he wants us to become. Our days are designed for us and we are designed for our days. And I I gotta tell you, uh, you know, as you ponder this, I mean, I do not understand how all this works. I mean, I try to figure this out and my brain freezes up and I just have to surrender myself to the majestic mystery of the sovereignty of God I mean there's just there's just so much design going on here and you either have to surrender yourself to the sovereignty of God or you throw yourself into the lunacy of evolution where it's just all about time and space and chance and there's no meaning and purpose to anything I can't do that but when you consider the wonder of God's great plan for each of us uh, David is so filled with excitement he says how precious to me are your thoughts God how vast is the sum of them were I to count them they would outnumber the grains of sand God thought you up and the thoughts that he had for you are countless but he carefully meticulously formed you in your mother's womb. He ordained your days so that each 24 hour period does what he wants it to do to make you into who he wants you to be. And then verse 18 concludes. It says, when I awake, I am still with you. It's like David is counting God's thoughts and it's like he's counting sheep and goes to sleep because he's just wore out. And, And when I wake up, God, you're still there. I'm in your presence. Fourth question. How much will God protect me? How much will God protect me? Uh, As you read through the Psalms, it's amazing how intense they can be. I mean, these aren't just sappy little happy poems about life. Uh, They they, they deal with serious, hard-edged issues of life and death. You, know, you need to remember that David spent a good portion of his life as a soldier. Uh, as a boy, uh, David slew the giant Goliath. The Bible says that David killed Goliath with a stone from a slingshot, and then he used Goliath's own sword to cut off his head. One of my favorite paintings at the Nelson Art Gallery is a painting of David where David is portrayed as this young lad wearing a red hat with a feather in it. And he's holding uh, Goliath's giant sword and Goliath's head. And uh, as you read the story in the Bible, you see that David carries Goliath's head around with him. I mean, he takes Goliath's sword and Goliath's head back to Jerusalem with him. When King Saul invites David to come see him, uh, David uh, carries Goliath's head with him. And uh, as a result of killing Goliath, David becomes a hero to the nation of Israel. And from there, he goes on to become a great warrior who defeated Israel's enemies. And the Israelites began to sing his praises to the detriment of King Saul. The Israelites sang, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. So King Saul became jealous of David and began to plot his death. And Saul kept trying to get David into battles with the Philistines, hoping the Philistines would kill him. But God was on David's side and David always won. And then Saul tried to get David to marry one of his daughters. He thought if he could marry one of his daughters, then he could control him. And so he, he said to David, before you can marry my daughter Michael, uh, Saul demanded that David kill a 100 Philistines. And David went out and killed 200 Philistines. And so Saul gave him Michael for his wife and then finally Saul decides just to kill David himself and uh, Saul and his army uh, start pursuing David, David winds up fleeing into the wilderness hiding in caves and Saul and his army are tracking him down like a wild animal and David manages miraculously to avoid them eventually Saul is killed in battle and David becomes king Now. David has a bunch of kids and one of his kids Absalom grows up and leads a rebellion against David. David has to fight his own son in order to retain the kingdom. Now what's my point with all of that? David knows what it's like to be under attack. He, he knows what it's like to have people opposing you, pursuing you, persecuting you, falsely accusing you, seeking to destroy you, Enemies, both foreign and domestic people close to you, even people in your own family. David knew what it was like to have to stand alone for righteousness. To draw a line in the sand and say, this is as far as it goes, and it goes no further. David knew the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. And he knew what it was like to step over that line and sin. He knew what it was like to bear the guilt and shame of his sin and to have to humble himself and confess his sin and throw himself on the mercy of God and seek forgiveness. And David recognized evil, evil in the hearts and minds of men. And so he doesn't mince his words in this last section. David refers to God's enemies in strong terms. They're wicked bloodthirsty, adversaries, and rebels. You know, these weren't just moderate, passive foes of the Lord. They were unashamed, hateful, open, and blatant despisers of God and God's people. And David declares his separation from them. And he has one specific request from God. Verse 19, if only you, God, would slay the wicked. That's a pretty bold request, and it's one that David makes several times in the psalms. Several of the psalms are what we call imprecatory psalms. Say that word with me, imprecatory, yeah, and an imprecation uh, is a curse that invokes misfortune upon someone. Uh, In the imprecatory psalms, the author calls down calamity and destruction, calls for God's anger, God's judgment to fall on his enemies. And these psalms can seem harsh, brutal, and uh, unsettling. Uh, Years ago, I, I was visiting a very prim, proper, genteel older lady in the hospital. And I asked if I could read some scripture for her, and she said, Yes, read from the psalms but not an icky one. She didn't like the icky parts. Okay? Uh, but when, when you encounter these Psalms, it's important to note they're not written out of vindictiveness or a need for personal vengeance. You know, they are prayers that keep God's justice, sovereignty, and protection in mind. You know, God's people, especially David in this case, suffer much at the hands of those who oppose them. And they are crying out for God's protection. You know, the imprecatory Psalms communicate a deep yearning for justice, written from the point of view of somebody who's been oppressed, mistreated. And God's people have the promise of God's divine vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God will make it right. And so David recognizes that the deeds of these evil people, he doesn't want anything to do with them. He says, Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. He says to God, They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. You know, they reveal their evil nature with their tongue. They speak irreverently of God and they blaspheme. A foul irreverent tongue is the product of a foul, irreverent heart. And David doesn't want anything to do with these people. The virus of a disobedient and degenerate heart is dangerously contagious. You cannot spend time with those who have it without eventually contracting the same disease. And David makes it clear, a clear statement on where he stands. Verse 21, He says, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, David trusted God to protect him. David trusted God. He didn't take matters into his own hands. He he left their, their destruction with God. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. And David trusted God to set things right. Now before he closes out this psalm, David makes a final request of God in verses 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David's not looking out, he's not looking around, he's looking within and he invites God Make a thorough examination of me. You know, the word search, is, it's the bookends to this psalm. It's used in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And now here at the end, he says, Search me, O God, know my heart. David wants God to put him to the test. David wants to become a righteous man before the Lord. He wants his sin exposed and expunged. And he wants God to show him the way everlasting. How well does God know me? He knows every thought, every word, every deed. He knows you down to every gene, every chromosome, right down to every strand of your DNA. He knows your every thought before you think it, your every word before you speak it, your every deed before you do it, your every step before you take it. How close is God to me? There's no height you can ascend to that he isn't there. There's no depth you can descend to that he isn't there. You can't go fast enough or far enough to get away from him. No darkness can hide you from him. No matter where you go, he is already there before you. How carefully has God made you? He knit you together in your mother's womb every bone, every ligament, every muscle, every nerve, your heart, lungs, stomach, liver, kidneys, brain, even the hairs on your head. God wove you together like a tapestry made of variegated threads. God ordained the number and the order of your days every day of your life from the moment of conception to your last breath on earth throughout eternity. You are no accident Some blob of tissue out of some primordial ooze. You are a masterpiece. You are a work of art designed and crafted by your creator for a specific time and a specific purpose. How much will God protect you? God will build a hedge of protection around you. God will send his angels to be a guard over you. You will walk through the wilderness and not be harmed. You will walk through the fire and not be burned. The flood will sweep over you and you will not drown. God himself sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the debt of your sin. God has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in you and guide you. And one day God himself will wipe away every tear. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now go live like it. Let's pray together. God, you know me. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. God, you are close to me. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God, you will protect me. You will protect me from my enemies. God, you will protect me from myself. So search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, we thank you for who you are, who you made us to be, who you desire for us to become. And we trust in you through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today.